Well, someone who's doing an outstanding job covering college football top to bottom is Josh Pate, part of 247 Sports and his show, Late Kick, on YouTube and on podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed to that. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Josh, thanks for being here. Uh, Let's start off with just the Big 12 in general as we look at this league moving forward, all right, and what's to come. I believe that this conference, and I'm biased when I say this, may not have a college football playoff team, but will be the most entertaining and the most fun conference in America this year. What do you think of that? I So I think that's true. And to be honest, I think you could say about the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Now, as you would probably guess, I get a little flack for that when I say it down in the South. But, I mean, I'm not just saying it because I want a headline. I mean, I believe it. If you look at the overall relative depth of the conferences, you could go, for instance, out to the West Coast and say, you know, you taught UCLA is going to be really fun. Well, I can do the same thing in the Big 12. I could say when Oklahoma State plays Baylor or when uh, – I know Texas is a more headline team, but when Texas go, plays Iowa State, like that stuff is a big deal because you're, you're talking about maybe not a couple of top ten teams in all instances, but you're also not talking about more than a couple teams that are outside the top 50 or 60. They're, they're kind of a, a hodgepodge group of teams that are there – in that, in that 35 to 55 range. And I know in a top 10 culture, we don't think anything of the team ranked 40th in the country. The team ranked 40th in the country is plenty good enough to beat a bunch of top 10 teams on any given Saturday. So it lends itself to that P word that everyone claims they want, parity. It lends itself to that. Now, that's the worst nightmare for a conference office because that just tells a conference office, oh, great, a bunch of 10 and 2 teams. <laughs> but for the, for the entertainment product, which is what we care about, Uh, Yeah, that could lead to some really fun Saturdays. Yeah, now, you know, and I know uh, something that you've talked a lot about, too, is, and I think we all agree, Oklahoma should be the favorite this year. But if there's a year that they could be knocked off, like last year by Oklahoma State and Baylor, um, why not this year? Are we taking for granted the notion that Oklahoma's offense with Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel is just going to be what it was the last five years under Lincoln Riley? Are, Are we making that assumption, and is that unfair to Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel. I do think people think in terms of logos sometimes. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we've just come, we've become so accustomed to expecting a certain product from them. I don't care if you have kept up with every headline and you know that Lincoln Riley left and you know Jeff Levy's the new coach there and Brent Venables is the new head coach and what his, uh, what his MO has been throughout his entire career. For some people, they are so hard-headed in a, in a kind way. They're so hard-headed they will have to turn on an Oklahoma game and see them not just moving the ball up and down the field on offense to believe it. Uh, I would, I would remind people though, that if you just go back to the Oklahoma Baylor game last year, that's what that game looked like already. And Lincoln and that entire crew was still in town. Uh, So I'm I'm not saying expect that to be the norm now, but yeah, I I do think if you want to use the term unfair, I think it's a, yeah, maybe a little unfair or maybe just putting the cart before the horse because I don't think that team is incapable. I don't think Dylan Gabriel is incapable. Uh, they have pieces. This is not – I mean, we're not talking about a poor man's program there by any stretch. But, yeah, I, I think also – and this could be applied to a lot of programs out there. This concept that in the transfer portal era, for some reason, people just expect you to replace the pilot with a new one and put a new wing on the plane and change a tire, and you don't even have to go test it out. Just, boom, put it on the tarmac, put it on the runway, 
uh, put that gear down, and we'll just take off seamlessly. No, no, there's going to be some wobbling. There's going to be some loose parts. There's going to be a little turbulence when you take off. That's normal. You're dealing with people. This is not Xbox. You're dealing with (laughs) real-life humans. And so I think whether it be Oklahoma or LSU or USC, a lot of these programs, man, like there's there's a fairly uh, high amount of result and, and return that's immediately expected. And I'm not saying they're incapable of it, but to think that it's as easy as it looks in preview magazines is, I think, being a little short-sighted by all of us. You know, I, I want to get back to what we think the Big 12 is going to look like this year, but you bring up a great point there. The, the transfer portal, you know, Lincoln Riley's a name that obviously has used it uh, in a huge way this offseason where he kind of built this fantasy team through the transfer portal. And the assumption is, hey, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, this is uh, offense that's going to score 55 points a game. Do you believe uh, when you look at this thing, Josh, big picture, that in five years the transfer portal will not be what it is today and that there's going to be value perceived in actually building programs, having guys there two, three, four years, and the pendulum's going to swing back the other way from where it appears to be right now? Yeah, I do think that's coming. Um, I don't think we're going to totally regulate things back to whatever the quote-unquote norm was. I would also argue we've never had a norm in this sport because everything turns over about it once every five years, but I think right now it's sort of one of those inflection periods and something's new. So of course, when something's new, you got to test the parameters. Uh, Eventually, you know, if you're watching a NASCAR race, eventually you lay some rubber down and you figure out what the high line and the low line is. And I know you brought me on to talk auto racing, of course. (laughs) So we'll eventually get that. Like whether it's the NCAA or whether it's just the natural climate that provides us with the quote unquote guardrails, will start to develop a norm. That's how markets always work themselves out. And I think what also, ironically, may end up helping there is three of those other evil letters in the room, and those are NIL. Uh, What I think NIL is going to turn into is essentially a contract. I don't mean an employment contract, although it's kind of akin to that. What I think will happen is, whether it be a collective or whether it be a car dealer out there, there's got to be incentive baked into those NIL deals for you to stick around more than a guaranteed 12 months. Now, the school may not be able to sign you to that, but if I'm an independent entity out here and I'm signing you to a deal with me, you're going to work on my terms. I don't deal with the NCAA. I'm just me. And so if I'm signing you to play at Oklahoma State or Texas or Texas Tech, man, I want to know you're going to be there. And I'm going to give you maybe a backloaded contract in exchange to ensure that you're going to be there. So it may be that the NIL market, of all things, ends up locking kids in longer than just any old-fashioned NCAA rule would. That would be a very interesting uh, development in all this. So you're you're not worried. I mean, a lot of coaches, uh, ADs, Jamie Pollard, Iowa State, they basically said here lately, NCAA is is more or less you know a thing of the past. I mean, do you think this thing will self-regulate itself, or does there have to be a Power Five commissioner that comes in? How does this thing get straightened out? Well, no, they're right about that now. Uh, but I don't yeah. think it took I don't think it took anything recently to know that about the NCAA. I just think it may be shown a more bright spotlight on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that's going to be a net positive because what I have thought, and it's not just me blindly thinking it, what I've been told by people behind the scenes for a couple of years now is if we're ever going to get a hold of any of a number of problems, whether it be the portal or NIL or whatever you want, when we're going to get a hold of them is the day that conferences look past Indianapolis where the NCAA is, and they look in the mirror and they realize, hold on, First off, we should be policing ourselves anyway, just out of principle. But number two, we are capable of more at the conference level than they are at the national level, which is 
sort of inverted, although it shouldn't be, it's sort of inverted with the way the American political spectrum thinks today. You want something done, you got to get it done at the federal level. Well, in college, um, that's not the way you're ever going to get it done. In fact, the higher up the food chain you go, the closer you get to a 9-0 SCOTUS decision being slapped against you and, you know, accusations of monopolistic practices and antitrust. Well, at the conference level, you can get away with being a whole lot more heavy-handed, and you can, be, you can get away with, with being a whole lot more firm in your rules and guidelines because at that point, if I'm doing something in the Big 12 and you don't like it and you're a linebacker, I can tell you, well, if you're not going to play by our rules, you can go somewhere else. Whereas if the NCAA had that same language in their bylaws and that player complained, they can't say that, and that's why they end up in court all the time. So the fact that conferences are finally realizing this and finally looking in the mirror and saying, we're going to have to do it ourselves, probably going to end up being a good thing and the only way you really get control of this. Now, Josh, when you look at the Big 12 in particular, back to the field itself, I know everyone's looking at the Texas Longhorns and saying, hey, you know, look at all the talent and and look at what they've got through the transfer portal, a lot of what we talked about earlier. But, I mean, Big 12 fans, they've seen this story for going on 15 years now. Texas, talent's never been the issue. It's getting the pieces to work together. Make the case for Texas, though, that this year will be different in year two under Steve Sarkeesian. Well, here's the word. So I'm going to use the word you used, different. Uh, Different can be bad. Different can be good. So let's even just go, for the sake of argument, down the positive road. And let's say you asked me to make the case for a positive difference this year. Well, when you go five and seven, the thing about it is you can go seven and five and fit all those parameters, but people still be disappointed because your over under win total in Vegas is nine and you're on the cover of all the preview magazines regionally. And in some cases nationally, and everybody expects year two to just be a magic year, regardless of who the head coach is. What Mm -hmm. were their problems last year? Their problems were they had inconsistency at quarterback. They never really got that figured out. Um, I thought they were okay enough offensively, but they couldn't affect the quarterback. I mean, their leading sacker was 2.5 and that was Ben Davis, the Alabama transfer. They could not turn the ball over. And, the things that you look for to suggest that those are going to be overturned, I think are still question marks there because if offensive line itself is your biggest question, you cannot promise me offensive consistency. I'm a huge fan of the Isaiah Nayer kid. Xavier Worthy is one of the best players in the country. Dijon Robinson, ditto. And Quinn Ewers, even if I think he's going to play at an All-American caliber, offensive line just lends itself to so much volatility. And then I also don't know that they've overhauled their pass rush, so I don't know that they've gotten quantum leaps better. I do think that they've incrementally gotten better. But there's a difference in me sitting here talking to you about them threatening for a double-digit win season versus them winning eight games. Mm -hmm. Because I think the second is more realistic, but I think the first is what people really want to see more. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, if you were to look at this league and say, okay, Oklahoma's the favorite – I think we all fairly agree on that. Number two, you want to make the Texas argument. Leave those two out of it. Of course, they're on their way out the door anyway in the next couple of years. Where are you looking? Which team are you looking to to saying this is the team outside of OU in Texas that can win the league this year? Well, I always go to Oklahoma State because about two years ago, I I finally slapped myself and said stop overlooking them every year. (laughs) And I'll tell you what the problem is. There's a little anonymity to the program nationally. Uh, But I also think that any kind of person who fancies themselves as an analytical mind in this game, and I'm not that myself, but I was smart enough to pair myself with someone who could build me a model. Well, the thing about college football and modeling is you have to take into account recruiting. 
And so any kind of model worth its salt that is a predictive model in this sport, you bake recruiting into it. And 95% of the time, that does good for you. The problem is Oklahoma State, it's kind of like Wisconsin. They just have a different way. They, ha they have a de developmental style. They have such a unique understanding of who they are. And so they don't have to rank anywhere higher than the mid-30s in recruiting to put themselves a roster together that's good enough to contend. Well, guess what a model says? A model sits there and says, uh, that team overachieved last year, and they're going to come back to earth this year. The problem is they keep overachieving, and after about the ninth year in a row, you realize it's not an Oklahoma State anomaly. It's a model anomaly. And so I'll look at them every year. I don't care who they lose. I don't care what kind of staff transition there is. I'll look at them every year. Uh, Baylor. I think with Dave Aranda is entering that same realm. I know in the t returning production metrics, they're in like the 100s. So this will be a really good test for them this year. But the first telltale sign is when a coach voluntarily tells his starting quarterback, his returning starter from last year, uh, you're the second best option for me. And I'm going to let you know that during spring. It's usually a pretty good sign that they're going to be okay this year. So those two, I'm really interested to see what West Virginia does. I just think it's unfair Every road trip of theirs is 1,000 miles minimum, but that's not something they can control. So those are some programs I'm looking at. And then, finally, we didn't even mention Iowa State. So for all I know, this is the year they pop. I could also make solid arguments for TCU and Kansas State, which leads us back to the first question you asked. How deep is the conference? Well, I've been filibustering for like five minutes here on who the second-best team is. It's their best team. <laughs> uh, last thing, Josh, when you look at this league and what's to come, we don't know when, as I mentioned, Oklahoma and Texas are going to leave. Uh, latest will be 2025, maybe some saying as early as next year. We do know Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU are coming in uh, next year for 2023. What I mean, look at the Big 12 top to bottom, football, basketball in particular, but we'll talk about football right now. How is this league going to be perceived? How will it stack up as a Power 5 conference moving forward? All right, so I'm going to use an analogy here, and you're either going to totally get it or you're totally not going to get it. I was a big pro wrestling guy growing up, and I remember back in the early 2000s when the WWF at the time acquired WCW. You know, they had all those established stars, Stone Cold, The Rock, The Undertaker. They went and got some of the best technical workers in the world, like Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and whatnot, <laughs> and they brought them into the company. And the thing about it is, the, the, the big WWF crowd, they were slow on the uptake. I was one of them. I didn't get how good those guys were because they weren't names to me. They weren't characters to me. But then you watch them in the ring, and they're running circles around people. And I almost wonder with the Big 12, when you bring in Central Florida and Houston and Brigham Young and Cincinnati, there are not four more perfectly primed position programs, alliteration aside, in the country than those. And they've all been achieving, and they're all – very well positioned in recruiting. They're all invested as maximum as you can get. I almost wonder if, if you can forget about the brands for a second and you just turn on the football product two or three years from now, whenever that is, I almost wonder if you're not looking at the Big 12 saying, hold up, are they kind of secretly playing better football than they played in a long time out there? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean then when you look at these four? Who, who's best poised to make the most immediate impact? I've always thought Central Florida was that team. You know, Gus Malzahn, you could write an entire book on him right now. He was at, to me, the toughest Power 5 job in the country at Auburn when you combined expectation and schedule every year. And he got a $21 million buyout to not coach there. And then he got to move from Lee County, Alabama to Orlando, Florida, and gets paid good down there. 
and all that Auburn stress is gone, but yet he still has the ability to win big. And then they show up on his front door and they say, oh, Gus, by the way, we're going to Power Five. How's that for you? And he says, I must be the most blessed man in college football. And <laughs> you can make the argument he is, but Cincinnati just showed you what they can do. I mean, if, if Houston – Houston could be the Texas version of UCF. They're all very, very well positioned, and Brigham Young's got a well-established track record of doing what they do. But if you told me pick one – it, I, I thought that about Central Florida for 10 years. I thought they, they have been in a good position, market size and whatnot, for 10 years. He's Josh Pate, does an outstanding job. Late Kick is the show, YouTube, podcast. Make sure you're subscribed, part of, of course, 247 Sports. Josh, thanks for being here. Really appreciate the time talking some Big 12. Always a pleasure. Let's count the days down on that calendar together. Oh, can't wait. He's Josh Pate. I'm Pete Mundo. HeartlandCollegeSports.com, of course, is our site. Hey. Take 30 seconds out. Leave me a rating and a review on this show. Hit that subscribe button. Every time you subscribe, it makes a huge difference. Also, when you leave a five-star rating and review, that makes a difference as well on iTunes. That's why I'm sending you a free Heartland College Sports koozie. When you do that, all you have to do is send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We've got Heartland College Sports koozies. We'll get in the mail for you guys. Thanks so much. Share it. Subscribe to it, rate, review, and we'll talk to you soon on heartlandcollegesports.com.